The Creek Church is a community of believers located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you would like more information about the Creek Church, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Good to see you guys today. Thank you for being with us. If this is your first time with us, my name is Trinity. I'm the adult pastor at the church, and Matt isn't with us this morning. He may actually be here third service, but if it's your first time, our senior pastor will be back next week. And also, if you're new, we're going through a series right now called You Ask For It. Now, this series has been one that we've challenged you guys to come up Ask us some questions, submit those questions, and we wanted to answer them for you. Today's actually the last day of that, and um, we're going to be facing a couple of different questions today that are they're pretty difficult in the body of Christ. This is probably two of the biggest questions that I've ever been asked, and um, just so you know, typically how services go, a lot of times here, what we like to do is we get a book of the Bible and we go line by line, verse by verse through that book. So this is definitely something different that we've been doing, but um, I also wanna challenge you if you're regular, new, whatever, next week to be here, because next week we're gonna be having our expo where all along these walls are gonna be the different groups that we have available here at the church, and we're hoping that you guys will get involved in a group. There's a lot going on. So I'm gonna jump right in because, like I said, these are some of the most difficult questions in Christianity that I've ever been asked. Um, we find them, they surface all over the place, so we're gonna jump right in. The first one is, would you explain the coexistence of free will and predestination? This is a difficult question. Now, I wanna warn you guys before we get started that there's two opposing polar sides to this argument. Um, if you if you've, have no idea what I'm talking about as I'm going through this, you've never actually tried to figure out where you stand on this, more than likely, blessed are you that you've never wrestled with this. But today, we're gonna give you the answer that we as the church have. Now, up to this point, it's been, it's been kind of easy answering some of these questions. Some of them are difficult in that they're, they're hard to answer, but the Bible tells us the answer for them. It's called doctrine. We're able to go to a verse in the Bible. We're able to explain it to you. Today's gonna be slightly different because we're gonna dip a little bit more into theology, the study of God. And what we find out today is gonna speak a lot to the character of who God is. So I want you to look at this debate as a pendulum. On one side is free will. On the other side is predestination and this swings to one side or the other. I've never seen a question cause more division in the body of Christ than this question that I'm about to address. So this series is called You Ask For It, so I'm gonna ask for it. I'm gonna ask you for this. I'm gonna ask you for grace with the answers today because everybody's come to a different conclusion on where this is, but we're being asked as a church where we stand on this. So as a church, we stand in one location, but how we get there can be a little bit different. So I'm gonna talk today through how I get there, okay? And everybody's wondering what is going on today. Okay, so before we talk about this, I wanna define terms. And notice that um, when you first see this, in the question, there's already a presupposition of what the answer is. Would you explain the coexistence of free will and predestination? First question is, do these things coexist? Are these both biblical concepts? And if they are, how do we reconcile them? So let's first um, define free will. Free will is the ability for mankind to make his own choices. 
Now, what I wanna say about that is the, own cho- the choices that we make, these are gonna be independent of God, independent of God causing us to do certain things, that we have a choice in the matter. And not only that, but it's also independent of our sinful nature. In other words, does the murderer have to be a murderer or does the thief have to be a thief or is there choice that's involved? So I submit to you today that there is choice involved, that we're not just machines that have to do something. So a lot of times I'll get the question, it's called an apologetic question of, can an atheist be moral? Can he do good things? Yeah, yeah, an atheist can do good things. He can do the right things as opposed to the wrong thing. So that shouldn't challenge us in any way. But the only problem is, is to God, that those good works are like filthy rags until we come through Christ. So that's free will. Predestination is the teaching that God, before time even began, determined everything that will happen throughout history. So in other words, he had a definite plan. For instance, that Christ would be the savior, that he would come, that he would die for our sins, that history would end a certain way, We see that all through what's called prophecy in the Bible, that God calls things out before they happen. So does does predestination exist? So what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a couple of looks in the Bible to see if we can find examples of these two things. So first off, free will. I wanted to pull up for you guys Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. This is God speaking to the nation of Israel, and he says this, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. In other words, all of creation, all that I've created, I'm calling them to witness what I'm about to say to you, that I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. Now, When the covenant was given to Israel, the covenant that was given was one that involved different laws that God gave to the nation. And what he had told them was, if you obey these laws, blessing will come. But if you choose not to obey these laws, then cursings are gonna come upon you. So it looks like in this verse that God has given them the opportunity to either choose to do those things he asks or not to do those things to ask, and that he holds them accountable for those choices. So that's Deuteronomy 30, 19. Another one that you might be familiar with is Joshua 24, verse 15. A lot of times um, you might find this verse on a coffee mug or on somebody's wall, but it's, if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose for yourself today whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So it seems again as though there's choice in this. And I think an interesting one is Proverbs chapter one. And um, verses 20 through 29, I challenge you to read it later, but it's the personification of wisdom. In other words, wisdom is actually speaking in this. And it says, I'm calling aloud in the streets for anybody who will turn into me. I'm speaking wisdom out, hoping that people listen and turn into it. And it goes on to say, wisdom is saying, if you turn at my reproof or my correction, Behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen though, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. Then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look to me, but will not find me since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord." 
Now, the fear of the Lord that it's talking about here is a respect and an awe of God that leads to a life that's obedient to the commands in which he's given. So it seems as though in this proverb, it, it doesn't say you could not choose the fear of the Lord. It said you would not choose the fear of the Lord, and God holds them accountable for it. So those are a few verses on free will. The, the Bible has plenty of them. So it seems like, okay, I'm rocking. I'm over in this camp now. God has given complete free will to mankind. In fact, it's called open theism. Open theism says God created everything. He kind of stepped back, and it's rolling out according to what everybody chooses, and God's kind of hands off. That would be the full polar view of that. Let's look at some verses for predestination. Acts 2, verse 23 says, this is a sermon that Peter's given. It's a rebuke, actually. He says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed. So Peter, talking to the people, said that the plan of Christ to come and to die was a predetermined plan. It was the definite plan of God that had to come to pass. In Revelation 13, verse 8, it says that Jesus was a lamb slain before the foundations of the world. In other words, before he created anything, he had a plan that he would come and he would die for the sins of man. So that plan came and it happened. So did God plan it? Did he make it happen? Was it all predestined? Yes, according to this verse, it absolutely was. So Ephesians 1, verse 4, this is one of the more difficult versions in the, or verses in the Bible if you want to believe that everything is all of free will and there's no predestination. Ephesians 1, verse 4, even as he chose us, oh, God, God chose us? God selected us? Well, what's he talking about? Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, before everything ever happened, it's saying God chose us that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to what? The purpose of his will. In verse 11, it goes on to say, in him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works some things, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, these verses, this question, this is very, very difficult territory. This is stuff that I, you're gonna have to, as much as possible, stay completely locked in with everything that I say because how we arrive at a conclusion makes taking these verses and drawing them out to their logical conclusion. And this has divided the church. Around the end of the 1400s to the 1500s is when the main debates about this started really catching fire in Christendom between guys like Calvin and Jacob Arminius and Louis de Molina. These guys had different opinions and it separated the body of Christ. So my hope and my prayer is, as I start telling you what the church's view on this, it doesn't create a rift but remember, Jesus brings all things together and he reconciles all things. And we can have differences of opinion on this stuff. But let me talk to you about some of the issues that I personally have with a fully deterministic or fully predestinationed view of the Bible, that it's all God and there's no free will. Some issues that I have with that. First of all is God's will for mankind. Second Peter 3, 9 is very interesting. It says, God is not willing. In other words, it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. God's heart and God's desire within creation 
is that every single person come to repentance. In fact, Jesus, when talking about hell in Matthew 25, he said that hell wasn't created for, or hell was created for the devil and his angels. So in other words, it was not set apart from man, but man will go to it. So if it's God's perfect will that none should perish, but all come to repentance, how is it that some perish and don't come to repentance? My belief, of course, and the church's belief is free will, that God has sovereignly decreed that man has free will. Romans 5, verse 18, another verse that's good to consider on this. It says, therefore, this is talking about Adam and his first sin. It says, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for who? For all men. We know that Adam's sin, because of it, we enter into a place of sin ourselves. We have what the Bible calls original sin, that we're born sinners. We're born apart from God. So that one act of Adam led to that for all of creation, So as that one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, meaning Christ, his life, his perfection, his atoning sacrifice leads to justification in life for who? All men. It's my belief that the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross, it's what's called efficacious. It was able to save absolutely everyone. In 1 John 2.2, John's talking about this, and he says, and we know that he was the propitiation for our sins, but not just our sins alone, but for the sins of the whole world. So our belief in the church is God's not willing that any should perish. He's provided a way for every man, woman, child to come to faith, but then introduces man's free will which leads me to the next part. The other thing that I have a bit of difficulty with, if it's purely determined by God ahead of time, is wrath. Now, wrath, this is God's displeasure at sin. What he's gonna pour out, his anger upon the earth when he reconciles all things, the final judgment that sends some to hell and some to heaven. Wrath is a problem for me if we live with a purely deterministic point of view. Let me, um, let me read Romans 1 for you. It says, for the wrath of God, his anger over sin, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. In other words, this is saying that everybody that would ever walk at the face of the earth has, has enough evidence that there is a God based upon his creation, being able to see his power. It goes, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things, me and you, that have been made. And get this verse, it says, so they are without excuse. Who? the ones that are gonna end up facing the wrath of God. They're without excuse because the things of God have been made known plain to them, but they chose to suppress the truth and to walk away. So if God is completely deterministic and he's only chosen some for heaven, but others he's chose for hell, I have a problem with wrath then. How can you hold somebody accountable for something they never had a choice to do? Let me give you an example. Imagine me as a father. I have two little girls and I tell them, Listen, guys, if you go out and you play in the street, I'm gonna, you will not live here anymore. I'm gonna cast you from my presence forever. You won't be here. And then I grab them and I throw them into the street. And I say, sorry, you, you can't be with me. 
How can we hold somebody accountable for something that we forced them to do? What would you say about my character as a father if you saw me do something like that? That's why this question is so incredibly difficult because it starts to define our theology. Theology is the study of God, how we define God to be. So wrath is a problem that something I have a problem with if we don't have a choice. And some will say, but when the Holy Spirit moves on a person, it is irresistible. There's nothing that they can do to turn away from it. Listen to what um, Stephen, right before he gets stoned by the Sanhedrin, says to him. He's talking and he says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and in ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. In other words, he's speaking this condemnation over them because even the whole, he agrees that the Holy Spirit, he believes the Holy Spirit has moved on their hearts, but they've chosen to resist the Holy Spirit in that situation. So these things are helping narrow us down and narrows down. So do we believe in free will and predestination? Some believe in one, some believe in the other. What do we believe at the church? We believe that there is a coexistence between the two of them. Well, that's sweet, Trent. You don't want to cause division, so you're going to say they're both existing. This is truly what I believe, but the question becomes, man, how do you reconcile that? If God has planned everything to happen, he enters Christ into history, Christ is going to be crucified, then Pontius Pilate, did he have no choice? Did Judas, did he not have any choice? Did they have to do those things? And if they did, how can God judge them for the decision that they made? It's tough questions, right? It's fun. Oh, it's so much fun. Now, I want to talk for a second about foreknowledge. Foreknowledge is absolutely essential to understanding this, in my opinion. There's something in Romans 8 called the golden chain. Um, it's, it's a silly word, I think, the golden chain. Anyway, a chain has a link that has a link that has a link that has a link, right? It, it's a chain. Okay, we get that. So the golden chain, it's in Romans 8, verse 29. It talks about the process of how God has done all this, in my opinion, Romans 8, 29 says, for those whom he foreknew. So the first piece in this puzzle for us is the foreknowledge of God. See, God is outside of time. It's, time is not a part of his being. So he's able to see the past, the present, and the future all laid out before him. As we're right now in real time, God is able to see the past, the present, and us in real time simultaneously. He is outside of it. So he has foreknowledge. He knows those who are gonna end up coming to him. That's my opinion. I believe God foreknows each one of us, that he knows those who are gonna accept this gift. So those in whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What that means, to be conformed to the image of his son is to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. It's to be transformed as the Holy Spirit comes within us and we start growing by glory to glory to glory into the image of Christ. That transformation process happens. So for those he foreknew, those he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Those whom he predestined, he also called. So now when we catch up in real time from the foreknowledge, it's like, okay, I'm gonna call him. Come to me, Holy Spirit, move upon his heart. So he calls us. What happens when he calls us and we accept? For those whom he called, he also justified. Justification is that point in our lives where God has declared us righteous. It's justified, it's justified, never sinned. When God sees us, he sees the perfect, sinless, spotless record. So he saw it, he predestined it, he called us, 
He justified us, and then the final piece of the puzzle is he glorified us. Now, the glorification of man is coming when Jesus Christ returns. It says that this mortal body shall put on immortality. And at that point, the full redemption of man has taken place. So I believe this golden chain that we see in Romans 8, 29 is a process that shows how all of this works. So let's look at another foreknowledge verse, Acts 2.23. We, we used this just a second ago for predestination. It says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and what? Foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed. First Peter 1, verse 1 and 2. To those who are the elect exiles, according to what? To the foreknowledge of God the Father. So I believe that foreknowledge is the key to start unlocking this. But if you're... Uh, if you're starting to get confused, that's okay. Because how we reconcile these, okay, I see that God sees how everything's gonna go. He's outside of it. He knows what's gonna take place, but it's his plan. How does he plan it and make sure that it happens? How does he plan that Christ will get crucified and Pontius Pilate will go through with it, that Judas will continue to go through with it and betray him, that all these things will happen when man has free will? Say, for instance, like I, I wasn't planning to do that. Did I just put a ripple effect through history that changes everything else or is everything caused and determined by God? That's the thing we, we wrestle with in this. But I think there's an answer in scripture for us. At least this is how I come to it. So this gets a bit heady, so I apologize if it just, like I said, blessed are you if you don't think about this, but I do. And in fact, I've, I've been answering questions just this week um, over this very issue. It's something I get all the time. But how do we reconcile the two? All right. God has three types of knowledge. He is all-knowing. We divide these up into three sections. One is called God's necessary or natural knowledge. That's his knowledge of every single thing that's going on right now that has gone on and will go on. It includes stuff like the laws of logic, which something can't be A and not A at the same time and in the same place. His knowledge covers everything and those things are independent of him. The second type of knowledge is called his free knowledge. In other words, he has a will, he has a plan and he knows it's gonna come to pass because he has willed it to happen. That's called his free knowledge. There's gonna be a third one I introduced to you this morning. It's called God's middle knowledge. Middle knowledge is this, that God knows exactly every decision for every choice that you would make throughout history, independent of where you are or when you are. That he knows exactly, he is that omniscient, he is that all-knowing. So for instance, he knows every decision I'm gonna make because of foreknowledge, but he also knows every decision I would make if I was born 200 years ago in Africa and how that would play out through history. Well, Trent, is there a Bible verse for this? I'm glad you asked. Yes. Matthew chapter 11, I think, comes to our rescue. Jesus is pronouncing kind of a judgment over a couple of cities. He says, woe to you, Chorazin, and woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works that were done for you today had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented. But you haven't, and it's gonna be worse in the day of judgment for you. In other words, Jesus is saying he has intimate knowledge and understanding of how somebody would have reacted to something had that happened. He follows it up a second time, and he says, woe to you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you'll be brought down to hell. Because if the mighty works that were done for you would have been done in Sodom, 
they would have remained until this day. So I believe God has intimate knowledge of absolutely everything and that's how he gets his will to pass because he knows exactly how Judas would respond when it was time to betray Jesus. He knows exactly how Pontius Pilate would respond once it was time to crucify Jesus and because of that, he's able to put people in the right times, in the right places for his will to happen perfectly yet still hold them accountable for the choices they made because they were of their own free will. And to me, that reconciles everything. That helps. Is there a verse to help to give me that? I'm glad you asked. Acts 17. Acts 17 is such a cool verse. It says, God determined. So in other words, he caused this. This is something that he, he made happen. God determined the allotted periods or the time frame and the boundaries, the living place of you and me. He's talking to the Athenians right now, but the same carries true with us. He determined the exact time in history and the exact place in history that you and I would be. Why? That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. The whole purpose that God has put you at this place, at this time in life, because he knows it's the best scenario for you to come to him, for you to be saved, because it's not his will that any should perish but that all find life. And that question comes deep to our own hearts today. But to me, that is how we reconcile free will and God holding us accountable to it, but also that he has a plan and he sees it happen. So I'm sure y'all have a million questions. If you don't, blessed are you. If you do, ask me, email me. I'll, I'll do the best I can to answer them. You might've been taught something completely different growing up and it's caused some questions based on what I said. It's okay. We can wrestle through these things together and we can still be one. But that's what I'm here. Ask me anything. I love to talk about it. So what about Judas and his eternity? That was kind of part of kind of a 1B question to what was asked. What happens to him? Jesus told us in Matthew 25, he said, be better for Judas had he never been born. He's able to hold Judas accountable even though it was the plan of God that Judas betray him. Judas still had a choice in there. So I hope that helps. So last week when we talked, we were going through different issues like divorce and stuff like that. And I told you, hey, I'm gonna answer this one for you next week because it kind of fits into what we're talking about. And the question is this. It is, if God hates divorce, and he does, why doesn't he stop it? prevent it from happening in the lives of Christians because God in his sovereignty has given man free will and he's gonna hold us accountable to those choices. So he doesn't force himself upon anyone. Just like Stephen told the Sanhedrin, you always resist the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit may be moving you to reconcile, but yet we have free will to be able to say no. So the last question for today, because this one's gonna take a little bit as well, Will God cause me to suffer and call it good? I, besides the predestination question, I get this question more than anything else. And typically the argument goes something like this. If God is all powerful, he can do anything. If God is all knowing, he knows everything that's going on and he's love, how did he allow this to happen? And every one of us has a different thing to fill in that blank. Why would a loving God allow? To answer that question, I wanna go back to the original creation, back to the book of Genesis to talk about it for a minute. 
And I always preface it by asking this question. So I know there's some of you here that I've asked this question to before. Just forgive me for a minute as I bore you with the same thing. I always ask, if you had the ability to marry two different people, they look exactly the same. They speak exactly the same. They both make a killer breakfast. Everything, they both tell you repeatedly over and over how much they love you. The only caveat is one's a human and one's a robot. (laughs) Which one do you marry? Now, I've never had anyone say the robot, but as I start asking older people, I have a feeling that I'm probably gonna get that. Oh, definitely the robot. (laughs) But uh, I always ask why. Why would you marry the human? They say, well, because they're human. They, They have a choice. See, the robot's just programmed to love. There's no real love. We understand that in order for love to exist, there has to be choice. And we see that in God's original creation, after each day of the creation, he kept saying, it is good, and it is just like I wanted it. It is perfect. But within that creation and where he sticks at him, he also has the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's choice that's now been introduced into the garden. We don't know how long it took Adam and Eve to fall. The Bible doesn't tell us. It could have been 100 years. It could have been a day. It could have been a minute. I don't know. But we see that he makes that choice. And then all of a sudden, all that goodness and all that perfection that God had created, instantly, sin comes in, death comes in. And there were four different relationships at that point that went from a place of harmony and perfection to a place of brokenness. The first one, was our relationship to God severed. We need, now needed a blood sacrifice to quench the justice of God over our disobedience. So the first one, all of a sudden, God didn't walk with Adam in the cool of the morning anymore. It affected the relationship too. It affected our relationship to creation. All of a sudden it says that the thorns began to come up from the ground and by the sweat of your brow, you'll work the land. In fact, Romans 8 says the creation is groaning and crying out for the revealing of the sons of God, for all this to be put under Christ's feet. So our relationship with God severed, relationship with creation. Our relationship with our fellow man was affected. All of a sudden, murder is introduced. Cain kills Abel. And we've seen incredibly horrific acts throughout history and maybe in our personal lives that men have done to other men. And finally, the fourth one is man's relationship to himself. Death, sickness, depression, cancer. All these things become a part of the human condition, but you know what? God wasn't okay with it. And that's where the gospel comes in, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Why? Because he's gonna bring healing and reconciliation to all four of those things. That's what we have hope in with the gospel. But there was one of those relationships that the moment that you accepted Christ went to a place of harmony again. That was our relationship with God. When he sees you after you come to faith in him, he sees the perfect, sinless, spotless record of Jesus Christ. And we have boldness and confidence to enter into his throne room, to talk with him. He becomes our father who loves us. Those other three relationships though, we have a promise of future fulfillment when God puts all things under his feet. In the meantime, Jesus said in John 16, in the world you're gonna have tribulation, you're gonna have suffering, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. He provides hope 
in the midst of a bleak, bleak situation. Men is still, are still gonna do incredibly unthinkable things to men and maybe something's happened to you or a loved one in life that somebody did and you're asking the question, God, where were you in this? Why didn't you stop this? But we see that God has given free will to mankind but he hopes to enter in and redeem us from those things. Or there was an earthquake that happened or something else that happened because of the earth. You know what? That's gonna be reconciled as well when Christ comes back, the earth is gonna be made new again. Or my loved one or myself, we're, we're battling with this disease. We're battling with depression. Listen, we may not see those three things be healed in this life, but we know with, with, with certainty that God has paid the price for these things and we have hope in Jesus Christ because of them. So will God cause me to suffer and call it good? We're gonna suffer in life because that's the world, the broken world that we've been born into. But Jesus and or Paul in Romans 8, 28 said that God will take all things and turn them into good for those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. In other words, if we love the Lord and we're going to him and we're pursuing the things that he's called us to, he's gonna take these broken things and he's gonna redeem them. I know within my life, there's just incredibly wicked and stupid things that I've done as a younger man. And God has redeemed those things so that I can speak about them and I can bring hope to people who are suffering through them as well. So you will suffer, but God can turn it into good. Listen to this verse, Isaiah 61, verse one. This is a prophecy in the Old Testament concerning Jesus who would come and with some of the things that he would do says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. In other words, the spirit of the Lord who is in control of all things is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to comfort all who mourn. Mourning is a reality of life and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow upon them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, why? For the display of his splendor. He wants to take those things that happen to you. He wants to take those things that have caused you to suffer and he wants to redeem them for his glory. He wants to do an incredible work through you. But I know that there's people here today who they've had that thing happen to them in the past, whether it was when you were a child or yesterday or whenever, you've been holding on to that thing. You've been blaming God just like Mary and Martha did when Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus and they said, if you'd have just been here, Lord, if you would have been there, this wouldn't have happened. You could have stopped this. And Jesus tells them, I'm the resurrection and the life. And though he dies, they will live again. Jesus knows he's about to call Lazarus back to life and see his friend again. But what does he do? He begins to weep. He begins to sob uncontrollably. Why? Because God understands the effects of sin upon this earth and he understands what you're going through. He wants to walk with you through that time. If you're in a place where you've been holding on to something from God and you haven't come to him, you haven't given your life to him, you haven't you haven't received salvation because of it. I pray that this morning the spirit of God speaks tenderness and love over you. You drop that thing at the foot of the cross and you give your life to Christ this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much.
Jesus, for your word. Thank you for the heart that you have, that you wanna give the oil of joy to those who are in despair, that though there's mourning going on and grieving, God, that you're over it, that you're sovereign, and you can reconcile those things in our life. And Lord, for those who have never given you their life because they've held on to that thing that's crushed them and they've blamed you for it, God. I pray, Jesus, that this morning we would open up our hands, let it go, and receive the life that you desperately desire for us to have. We know that it's not your will that any should perish. And Lord, if there's any here today that have never received salvation, I pray, God, that they see that they're a sinner, that they've broken what you've called us to obey. God, and that they call upon the name of the Lord. Thank you for your death and your sacrifice, Jesus, that we can be reconciled to you. And if anybody has confessed that with their mouth today, I thank you for the new life that's been given. And while everyone's eyes are still closed this morning, I wanna challenge you. If you've come to a place this morning where you've desired to give everything to the Lord and understand the call of the Lord is one of sacrifice of yourself. You lose your life that you can find it in Jesus. If that was you this morning and salvation has come, I just simply ask you to acknowledge it now before me. Raise your hand and let me know. Has there been anybody? Thank you, sir. Anyone else? Thank you, ma'am. Any, anyone else? I won't ask again. Father, thank you that you desire life for us. Thank you for salvation. And God, I pray that we walk triumphantly before you and bring reconciliation in life to the world. We love you. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Creek Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us, please visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Thank you.